Christians are a peculiar people. To the world around us, we often appear as strange or weird, like we really don't fit in. The phrase the Apostle Peter used to describe us was elect exiles. The idea is that even though we are chosen and precious to God, in a world that's corrupted by sin, we will feel like strangers or sojourners. As the song says, this world is not my home, I'm just a passing through. So Christians are called to live like foreigners and exiles while still pursuing relationships with the people around us who are not like us. And Peter's first letter is written to help saints, young and old, to figure out how to do that, how to live in the world while not becoming like the world, while also seeking to win the world back to God. The following episode is one of nine where we dove into this letter with fellow saints and seekers here in Brooklyn to try and figure out how do we share the gospel with our neighbors around us when the gospel feels like it's mostly unwelcome. Hope you benefit from listening. Peace and love, everybody. This uh, is particularly to look at this idea of being elect exiles and talk a little bit about um, what it looks like to be um, an elect exile trying to serve God in the midst of uh, a pagan generation around us or in the midst of the world, um, a society that is not God-fearing and not trusting God and not seeking God. Um, What does it look like to live out our faith um, in this world? And so we began last week by reading the beginning and the ending of of the letter and uh, in which Peter kind of introduces to us some of his major uh, reasons for writing, some of his, the major themes that he's going to uh, try to try to stress. And if you remember from last week, we talked about, uh, Peter actually says at the end of the letter that he's writing about the true grace of God. Um, and so much of what this letter is about is trying to reshape our views and our understanding of, of God's grace. Um, but he also says at the beginning of the letter that, um, that the, the saints, these elect exiles, are going through um, various trials, uh, various testings, and, uh, and therefore, um, therefore uh, they need to be aware of the, the difficulties they're going to face and also need to be aware of the spiritual realities around them. Uh, that will encourage them and help them through it. And so in this opening paragraph, Paul spent a lot, sorry, Peter, rather, spent a lot of time talking about their hope, their salvation, the the grace that is to be brought to them, um, that is to be yours, the glory that is ahead of them. And he uses all those phrases almost interchangeably just to speak about what God has in store for them. Um, so today we're going to pick it up in chapter 1 and uh, in verse 13, and I'd like for us to read together verse 13 down to verse 25. Before we do that, though, before we read this paragraph, does anybody have any thoughts, questions, comments, reflections from meditating on this text for the week um, on the first uh, 12 verses before we dig in here to, uh, to verses 13 to 25? All right, cool. We're going to begin uh, with the word of prayer, and uh, I'll ask our brother Mark, if you don't mind. Do you mind leading us in prayer as we get going here? Absolutely. It's perfect timing. I just rejoined on the video. Oh, there you go. Well, Jesus, thank you, Father. Thank you for this time with our brothers and sisters as we continue our study of First Peter chapter 1. Let us be encouraged by your word, Lord God, and please be with our brother Caleb as he ministers your word. Please provide him with uh, the wisdom, the insight, and the encouragement, Lord Jesus, as he facilitates and equip uh, from each other and as we encourage each other through the study of your scripture. And we just ask, Lord God, for the beginning of this new week, uh, let your grace and mercy continue to be upon us, Lord God, as we continue to go out into the world. Even though we are in the world, we are not of the world. Just let your light shine in us, Lord God. We thank you and we ask you all these things in your son's holy, precious name. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Amen. 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 All right, we're going to read starting in verse 13 down through the end of the chapter. And I want you to be thinking about as we read today, 
Um, what does this paragraph teach us about how to live as elect exiles? Um, people who are strange and foreign to the world around us, to the culture around us, but people who are choice and precious to God. Uh, what does this teach us about our lifestyle as, as elect exiles? Starting in verse 13. Therefore, preparing your minds for action, being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. And if you call on him as father who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, conduct yourselves with fear throughout your time of exile. Knowing that you were ransomed from the feudal, knowing that you were uh, ransomed from the feudal ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb, without blemish or spot. He was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but was made manifest in the last times for the sake of you who through him are believers in God who raised him from the dead and gave him glory so that your faith and hope are in God. Having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart. And since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and abiding word of God, for all flesh is like grass, and all its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers, the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. And this, was, this word is the good news that was preached to you. All right, let me just uh, start out here by opening it up to you guys. Um, look over the text that we just read, the paragraph here from verse 13 down through verse 25. And I want you to take a moment and, and, uh, and think about what, which, as, as we read that together, uh, which line or which word or which phrase um, stood out to you in that reading um, and, and impacted you in some way. Uh, it could be a word, it could be a phrase, it could be a verse. Which verse, uh, which phrase, which word stood out to you and, and really impacted you as we as we were reading that? Go ahead, Ruth. Therefore, and then prepare your minds for action. Okay, why do you say that? I guess um, with the, the <laughs> beginning of the first chapter, um, talk about God's grace, mer great mercy, and um, that we are now born to a new hope because of Christ. And the resurrection so because of that we have to live out um our i guess our purpose um but it begins with our, our mind frame that's right that's right very good very good all right anybody else which uh which word phrase uh verse stood out to you as we read that impacted you as we were reading it I think for me, it was um, the contrast in verse 14. So I think I'm here. I have the ERV in front of me. It says, in the past, you did not have the understanding you have now. So you did evil, the evil things you wanted to do. And then I see that contrasting with, but, but now you are children of God. So you should obey him and not live the way you did before. And I just, I guess for me, I just like that idea of in the past, you lived this way. You did what you wanted to do. But now you're going to live for God. Amen. 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 Good, good, good. All right. Anybody else? Which uh, word, phrase? Yeah, go ahead. Uh, I think, Brian, you got something? Yeah, I, I liked um, 14 and then kind of combining it with 18. But like 14 in the ESV, it says, as obedient children. Uh, and that's really, it's reassuring for me to, to keep seeing that word obedient so that we, we know we're right in you know, clinging to God. Um, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. And that just really, it's really helpful because it, you know, it speaks to past life and things that you, you know, uh, took the time to try to, you know, try to give up or not do anymore. 
Um, and it just, it feels good, I guess, in a sense that uh, he's kind of re reminding us that, you know, this is what we were and this is how far we've come, like um, she just said. But, and then 18, knowing that you were ransomed from the feudal ways inherited from your forefathers. Again, it's just this idea of uh, God scooping us up um, and obviously all generations, you know, he's talking about forefathers long ago. He just scoops us up and ransoms us. I love that visual of him just taking us and like, you know, uh, holding us um, away from the feudal ways that were, uh, that were our forefathers. So we're, you know, we're precious in his sight. He wants to keep us pure um, and we just have to keep following him. Good. Amen. Amen. Mark, go ahead. You're muted there, brother. Can you hear me now? Now we got you. Okay, thanks. I just want to follow up on something that Brian mentioned regarding verse 14. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the former lusts which were yours in your ignorance uh, when we were living in uh, something like that in our past. I'm reminded of what you preached upon today, 1 Corinthians 6, uh, chapter, uh, 1 Corinthians 6, uh, verses 9 through 11. Uh, where it says, such were some of you, but you were washed, but you were sanctified. So there's a direct connection to, we lived a certain way in the past, but through Jesus' blood, we've been sanctified and clean, and it's a new beginning, a new life for us in Jesus. Amen. Amen. Good. Good. Anybody else have a, have a verse, a word, or a phrase that uh, jumped out at you as you were reading this that really impacted you or stood out to you? Yeah, Tony. Um, yeah, I'm uh, just reading through verse 13 again, just saying, therefore, get your minds ready for action by being fully sober and set your hope completely on the grace that we brought to you with, when Jesus is revealed. Um, I think, you know, one thing that stood out to me a long time ago, a preacher told me, he's like, when you hear see a therefore, you got to know what the therefore is there for. Uh, and then just going back in the beginning, it's talking about the, the prophets who, who, um, predicted the grace would come to you and searched and investigated carefully. Um, you know, it, it's kind of paints a picture of like though gives you this, this idea that there's a big picture going on here from the beginning that God was doing something. Um, and that we need to get our minds ready for action, you know, being, being fully sober. I used to think that that meant like literally not drinking alcohol or, or something, but I, I find as I get older, there's other ways that you could not be of sober mind. Um, giving into, you know, uh, so we just had the election, giving too much into politics or giving too much into worldly things um, that may not necessarily be sinful, but aren't necessarily beneficial. Right. Um, and, and it could take your mind and take your focus and start to split that in, into different directions, you know, and I think that's more what he's, saying here like there's, there's a big picture going on here so you know don't you know be sober-minded and ready for action to contribute to this big picture and be a worker in that in that in god's plan of salvation here um and put your hope fully on the the grace that's going to be brought to us through jesus when he's revealed um and, and not any longer turn to those those human ways and those human um I guess habits and, and things that we've had from from the past before we were we were brought into salvation, you know, into God's plan. Amen, amen. You can get drunk on more than alcohol, that's for sure, and, uh, <laughs> and that's why he uh, he says here, prepare your minds for action. Which, by the way, um, I'm using the ESV here, um, and uh, ESV is really good in many parts of First Peter. Not on that phrase. A lot of translations really butcher that word. Um, literally, the, the wording there is gird up the loins of your mind. Uh, and he's using an Old Testament image there. In ancient times, what would happen is you would have, uh, when people were ready to fight, they would take their long, you know, basically skirts that went down their ankles. They would pull it up and tuck it into their belt. And that was the idea of girding up your loins. And, and, and the idea behind that was you're removing anything that's going to hinder you from moving or making progress towards the battle. And, and think of it the same way when he says gird up the loins of your mind, that's what he's trying to get us to think about is removing whatever is hindering us from our minds 
so that we are free to move forward and to make progress towards God. That's the picture. That's the image that he's trying to draw. Uh, Ruth, I think you had something. Go ahead. Yeah, no, I was just going to um, add to what Tony said was like, when you read um, verses six in this, you rejoice. Um, when you talk about the various trials, I think that's what he's talking about in terms of being sober-minded. Here you have, you know, um, Peter's writing to people who are probably like confused, who are um, scattered and they're, you know, in a experiencing different things. And so I think this is something to encourage them um, as they suffer. Amen. Amen. Good. Good. Anybody else want to speak about a line, a phrase, a word that really impressed you or, or stood out to you before we go further um, here? Um, I think uh, for me, it's that from verse 15 down to about verse 18, um, where it says, uh, he who has called you is holy, so be holy in all your conduct. Um, and I think of that is that you know, God is calling us higher to, to his holiness. And that's going to help us have like, you know, as Tony and Ruth said, just like a sober mind, a sober thinking, because now we're, God is trying to elevate our mind to be like him. Because it says uh, in verse 17, we call on him as a father who judges all. So we're called to be like our father. You know, we're, we're being born into this new family of God. And God wants us to imitate him in his holiness. Um, and when we start imitating him in his holiness, we start to recognize that we are not of this world. We're of our father's world. We're living in this exile form. And I guess for me, I'm thinking like, of because um, I've been just studying Ezekiel, like while these people were in, in exile, right. um, you know, God was calling them higher to repent and stop doing these worldly things. Um, and it's the same thing. Like we're around this world, but we're not in our native land. We're in a foreign land and we're to shine like stars, you know, in this foreign land. So, you know, knowing that, you know, everything around us is futile, that what we have with our father in heaven is far greater than uh, what we're experiencing here on earth. So, Amen. Amen. Good thoughts. And, and this uh, imagery of being exiles Amen. that Peter's going to talk about over and over again throughout the letter is very much built upon the prophet's uh, writings who were speaking about the people being in exile uh, and, and while some of those people were also in exile as well. Good thoughts. Good thoughts. All right. Anybody else want to jump in real quick before we, uh, before we move further into the study today? Caleb is... Um... Is Paul referring to anything specific that you know of when he says prepare your minds for preparing your minds for action? Well, again, the that the literal phrase there is gird up the loins of your mind. Um, oh, really? And, the whole uh, thing. And, yeah. So, uh, so yeah, I do think that's what he's talking about. He's talking about removing anything that's hindering your mind from being able to move forward and make okay. progress in your walk with God. Uh, he's okay. going to talk about more specifically what he means by that in the next few verses here. All right, so if you remember back to last week, one of the last things that, um, that Peter said in the letter in chapter 5 um, and, uh, and in verse 12, he said he had written exhorting and declaring that this is the true grace of God. Um, that's what he said he's writing about. So my question for you is, what do you learn about the true grace of God from this paragraph that we just read? What insight do we get just from reading this paragraph? What, is this, what does this paragraph teach us about the true grace of God? And you can look at that either way. What, is, what does it teach us that, God, that God's grace is, or what does it teach us that God's grace is not? Um, Jessica, go ahead whenever you're ready. Yeah, thanks. Uh, so I was looking at, uh, can't find it now, I think verse, we're talking about, um, that um you know it's not like your your forefathers who's um what yeah verse 18 prepared yeah. to things like silver or gold um and then that you've been bought back with a precious bud um from of jesus and i think that just kind of speaks to how powerful god's grace is because a lot of times we find ourselves thinking about us being less than and not i mean none of us are worthy in a, 
in and of ourselves, but um, doubting your salvation at times and just knowing that, hey, this is not like some smoke and, smoke and mirrors, you know, sacrifice that I'm giving up like they did in the Old Testament. This is God's, you know, Jesus' blood that has bought back, has paved the way for my sins. Um, and just having faith in that and knowing that his blood is enough, even though I'm not. Um, and being confident and being able to move on whatever, you know, whatever sin we've had in our past or struggles that we go through now, um, just being confident and knowing that he has us. I love that. I love what you just said. And I, it reminded me too, um, this is not the first time we've seen Peter talk about perishable or imperishable. He's already said that we have an imperishable and undefiled uh, inheritance in heaven for us. And uh, it, it's reserved in heaven for us. And now he says we've been ransomed by something that is not perishable, not by silver or gold, but by um, the precious blood of Christ. Um, I, I think that's really, really powerful. You think about that. If it was just silver or gold, then yeah, maybe some of us would be too bad. Um, and, it, and, we, and there wouldn't be enough to pay to get us out of it. But we were, we were ransomed by the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. The other thing that got me there as you were talking is uh, that we were ransomed from the feudal ways inherited from our, for, from our, uh, our forefathers, which reminded me too, that God isn't just trying to, to, to ransom us from our sins or the penalty of our sins, but he's trying to ransom us or save us from, buy us back from the empty life that we used to live, the empty path that we used to be on that was leading us to emptiness and, and to an unfulfilled uh, life. So good thoughts there. What, what else do you guys see here? What does this paragraph teach us? Um, what does it teach you about the true grace of God? I feel like there's a lot of words that um, make me think of, you know, the, the true grace of God and us being in it. Um, everything has to be pure, um, unblemished, you know, um, undefiled, uh, really, relieved of our old sins. There's an effort on our part to, to remain pure, um, but that God helps us, wants us, expects us to be pure. Um, you know, I almost felt to the mind like we, you know, we're this unblemished lamb with Christ, you know, when we will be with him, um, that that's, that's the sense that we need to try to maintain our purity in all ways. Good. Mark, yeah. yeah. Just to follow up again on what Brian said, uh, where we're purifying ourselves, or God is purifying us, we should be pure in our relations with others. As I'm reading uh, 22, verse 22, since you are in obedience to the truth, purified your souls, for the love of the brethren, fervently one, love one another from the heart. So it's a purification, not just individually, but within the body of Christ as well, within the community. Amen. Good, good, good. If I hear you guys right, um, what I think you're, you're saying, and tell me if I'm wrong, is essentially um, one thing we learn from about God's grace, about the true grace of God from this paragraph, is that God's grace is not meant simply to forgive us, but also to change us, to, to make us into a different kind of person. Um, yep. And that's, that's a big, I think, takeaway for me from from this section is uh, God's grace is not a license to go and disobey God. Rather, it is the motive that leads us to obey God. And there's, as uh, Brian pointed out, there's a huge emphasis on obedience in this text. Um, some people view God's grace that way. And I'll, I'll just say one of the false graces out there that gets spread and taught a lot is, well, it, it, and, and most people wouldn't, say it straight up this way, but more or less the idea is, well, since God is gracious, you know, we're just going to continue to sin, um, and God's going to keep on cleansing us from our sin, and, and really, you know, I mean, really, we shouldn't, we shouldn't sin, but then again, we are sinners, and we have this sinful um, nature, therefore, like, uh, you know, God's going to forgive us for it all, or whatever, 
Uh, you don't see the you don't see the apostles speak that way about the grace of God. In fact, you see here, um, as Ruth pointed out in the chat, it, God's grace causes us to be obedient children. All right, good. Any other thoughts? Any other things you notice here? Things that stand out to you about the grace of God um, from verses thirteen to twenty-five? Candace, yeah. I feel like in verse 13, where it says, um, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Um, I guess in my head, I'm, I'm thinking that the real fulfillment of God's grace is when, um, is at the revelation of Jesus Christ. You know, that's when God's grace would be fully fulfilled. And then in verse 15, it, it kind of tells us what we, what we should be doing or how we should be living because of God's grace, right? We should be holy just as our God is holy. And then um, in verse 18, I guess it, it kind of tells us what God's grace does for us, right? It ransoms us from our futile ways right. that we inherited. Um, and it didn't ransom us with perishable things. I guess I was just looking at those three and those were some of the thoughts that came to my mind. Yeah, good. I'm really glad uh, you shared that. And I want you to notice just how much of an emphasis Peter has put so far in the letter on God's grace in the future. Um, if you go back to, uh, to verse 2, the first time he uses the phrase for grace, he says, may grace and peace be multiplied to you. The implication being, well, yeah, maybe you've already experienced a, a taste of God's grace, but there's a greater grace to come that, that, and a multiplication of God's grace that God has in store for us. Notice um, he often uses some other words in this, uh, in, in, in this letter almost interchangeably with the idea of grace. Uh, one of those words is salvation. Uh, if you look at chapter 1 and verse 5, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed. Uh, well, if you think about it, if somebody asked you, are you saved as a Christian? If you're a Christian, are you saved? What would you say? Hopefully we would all say yes to that. Um, and it, there's a sense in which salvation is past tense. We were saved. Um, there's a sense in which salvation is also present tense. We are saved. But there's another sense in which the Bible speaks about salvation in the future tense. That is, we will be saved. There is a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. Uh, he says in verse uh, seven, um, that after we go through all these trials, our faith is gonna be genuinely tested um, and, uh, and, and that it may be found to result in praise, glory, and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Um, if you go a little bit further to verse nine, he says, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. And then in verse 10, concerning the salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours, searched and inquired. See, often when he speaks here about the grace of God, he's not thinking just about the past grace that God has poured out or the present. He's thinking much about the future. And that is especially true in verse 13, where he says to set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you. Which maybe I should just uh, point this out here. One thing that hit me as I was reading this is that one of the things that grace changes about us is it changes our hopes. It changes what we put our hope in. And I want you to think about that. If you're a Christian and you've been saved by the precious blood of Jesus Christ, that should affect what you put your hopes in. And, I, and let me just say this too. It should also affect what we do not put our hopes in or what we avoid putting our hopes in. Uh, this is probably a good time to say this. Um, you know, isn't it, it, one thing that's interesting to me and ironic to me is that the people um, who, and, and I don't mean this as a criticism, I don't mean this in a, any kind of condescending way whatsoever, but many of the people, and some of them are brethren, who are rejoicing and celebrating over uh, the outcome of the election that has taken place uh, th this year. Uh, we're deeply disappointed four years ago when the election took place. Um, and on the flip side, many of the people who put their hope in the election uh, back in 2016 and were so, uh, so um, happy and rejoicing are now in 2020 deeply disappointed. 
And by the way, just so you know, more than likely four years from now, the same thing's going to happen again. The way it goes is we put our hopes in earthly things and then eventually we get disappointed. I think that's part of the reason why here Peter is, emphasizes this idea, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Grace changes what we put our hope in because ultimately there's only one hope that's going to last and going to matter in the end. All right, good. Um, any other thoughts about God's grace from uh, verses 13 to 25 or things that it teaches us or ways that it helps us? I like how you talked about um, how, how God's grace changes us. Does anybody else want to have a uh, throw out anything else you notice here from the paragraph on that? Caleb, this goes back to um, uh, verse 9 that you were talking about. It's all right. Um, when I was like looking over this, you mentioned at the beginning, like this meditating on this uh, over the past week. In verse 9, when he says, uh, he's saying that, okay, so verse 8 says, You do not now see him, but you believe in him, you rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining. When he says obtaining the outcome of your faith, a few, few of the times I was reading it, I was reading it like, like presently, like like you're talking about present and future, like presently you're obtaining the outcome of your faith. But then I also saw it as future, you'll be obtaining the outcome of your faith. Um, so is it kind of like we're in the act of obtaining the outcome of, of our faith? Yeah, I mean, again, this idea of grace and salvation is kind of already, but not yet. Um, yet there is a sense in which we have it, but there's a sense. And I think the emphasis that Peter is placing in this letter is on the grace that we do not yet fully have, okay. uh, which is why he says to set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. So there when he's talking about uh, salvation of your souls, I mean, yeah, there is a sense in which we've already received that. And we're already experiencing that. But there's a, there's a greater sense, I think, in which he's saying, you have not yet fully received that. And that's, yeah. why, that's why your hope is in the future. Yeah, thanks. Good, good, good. All right, let's talk a little bit about holiness here then. Um, notice the beginning in verse 14. Um, as obedient children, don't be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it's written, you shall be holy for I am holy. Um, so as you read these verses and even maybe a little further down, um, I want you to think about the, what are some of the reasons that Peter gives us for why we should be holy in all of our conduct. And some of you have touched on this a little bit already, but what do you see in the text here that he gives us? That, that what are the reasons that motivate us to pursue holiness? Or what are the reasons why God wants us to be holy? He's directly telling us to be holy because he himself is holy. He wants us to imitate him as closely as possible. And that would mean leading a holy lifestyle. Good. So one reason why we need to be holy is because God himself is holy. And by the way, if we're obedient children, children are supposed to look like their parents, right? Um, Cyrus, when he woke up today, uh, I heard him saying, I couldn't hear exactly what he was talking about, but I heard him saying like when he got out of bed, like, hey, I'm going to do this because that's what daddy does when he wakes up in the morning. Um, and that's the way children are, right? Uh, obedient children imitate their parents. They become like their parents. So if God himself is holy, then we also should be holy. Good. What else does this text teach you about holiness uh, or, or why we should be holy or what that looks like? Go ahead, Ruth. Yeah, it, didn't, it, didn't, it stands out like uh, verses 15, 16, and then you could jump into, well, even 18, sorry, then jump into 20. It's, it's, I guess it's, it's for his glory. Like he's pointing it out, being set apart, just like the Israelites were. Um, among the nations, we are two. Okay, good. So God is actually not only setting us apart for our own good, but he's doing it for, for his own glory. He's calling us to be separate. That's the idea of holiness there. Set apart um, and uh, for him and him alone. 
uh, I like to point out, you know, a phrase we don't use a whole lot in weddings anymore, uh, but in thinking about holiness, uh, at weddings, sometimes you'll hear the phrase holy matrimony. And the idea is that two people have come together and they've set themselves apart from the world for one another, to be joined to one another. And God is saying, hey, I've made you my people so that you'll, you'll be set apart from the world so that you'll be holy for me. You'll be, you'll be mine, my chosen people, a people that reflect my glory in the world. Good. Uh, other thoughts about holiness um, or what this text teaches us about holiness? Uh, just that, you know, we have to think about all that was done for our holiness. Um, you know, verse 18 and 19, um, you know, we were ransomed with the precious blood of Christ. I mean, all this happened, you know, Christ dying, Christ bleeding and dying. And, and that was all for us. It was all for our, for our faith. Um, so, you know, obviously there's someone does something so great for you, for you to just, you know, take it casually and not, not take it seriously and not be, you know, like really stand firm and just like accept it with like honor, you know, someone does something, you know, great for you. And this is the best thing that anyone can ever do. And, and there was just so much. And uh, we have to repay that with our own perfectness if we can. Yeah, that's good. That's right. That's right. Um, let me just add a thought here that came to me as I was reading this today. I'll go ahead, Tony or Denise. Uh, I was going to just say also, um, you know, it's right there in verse 17. It says, since you call a father who judges each person's work impartially, uh, you know, that's part of the, you know, he, he's not like he says, he's not impartial in his judgment towards us, you know, um, and he's talking about the things that we do you know, our actions so that, you know, as we, you know, yes, we've been bought with the blood of Christ, which is worth more than anything that this earth has to offer already. Um, but we are still being watched, you know, and, and we will be judged impartially, you know, and, and that's something like, like you said, so live in this world as foreigners in reverent fear, that's right. you know, be, making sure that, you know, you're, you're aware that God is still watching, you you know, um, I just wanted to add that, that, that point. Yeah, I like that. Just because you're a child doesn't mean you get preferential treatment or like some kind of special uh, get out of trouble card. Um, you need to be an obedient child um, uh, because God is going to judge everyone equally and fairly. So one thing that stood out to me as I was reading this too is uh, the idea in verse 14, don't be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. Um, the, the word there, don't be conformed is like the word molded, shaped or modeled. Don't be conformed. Don't be shaped to the passions that used to be yours, your old lust, your old desires that you used to chase after. Um, don't be shaped by that, but be shaped by what? Verse 15, be shaped by the one who called you become like the one who called you. Uh, which, I, you know, I was just thinking about that. Grace not only changes what I put my hope in, it also changes, uh, it changes what, who my role model is. Um, it changes who I'm following and who I'm trying to become like. When I think about the things that Brian mentioned about what Jesus has done, the price that Jesus has paid uh, for me, and I think about my father who has shown such grace to me and yet is so holy and righteous then it motivates me to want to become like him, to want to be like him in every way. Uh, and, and I think about, uh, there's a lot of emphasis in First Peter on how we are becoming like Jesus, how we are becoming like the Father. If you go back even to verse 2, when he says, those who are elect exiles according to the foreknowledge of God the Father. Did you notice also that he speaks about Jesus here in verse 20? being foreknown before the foundation of the world. That is the same thing that, that, that was true of Jesus is now true of Jesus' people. Um, the same things that was true of the, of the one who called you, the father, are also going to be true of you, his children. And so we need to think about that. If I truly appreciate 
God's grace, it's not only going to change what I put my hope on, it's going to change who my role model is. And, and one of the things that is heartbreaking to me is just to see how many people who claim to be followers of Christ, claim to be disciples of God, really don't make Jesus their role model. A lot of us love the idea of Jesus saving us, washing us, justifying us, cleansing us. We love to talk about that. We love to think about that. We don't like to think of very carefully about Jesus being the one who is our role model, who we're supposed to conform to his image, that um, we're supposed to become like him. And I think that's a helpful image for us to think about. So the grace changes my hope. It changes my role model. Um, and it also here changes my conduct. Um, we've talked a little bit already about holiness, how we're to be holy in all our conduct. But let me ask you this. Is there anything else you see about how our conduct is supposed to change in the verses that we read today? Do you notice anything else here about how our conduct is supposed to change as Christians? Yeah, go ahead, Tony. Um, no, this is my favorite part. Uh, it's how we tor act towards each other. Um, Where do you see that? Yeah. At the, at the end there, um, right before it talks, before uh, 24, uh, 22, it says, you purified your souls by obeying the truth in order to show sincere mutual love. So love one another earnestly from a pure heart. You have been born anew, not from perishable, but from imperishable seed through the living and enduring word of God. Yeah. So, you know, we, and I, and I say this is my favorite because I, I always, I'm a big proponent of fellowship and our love for each other as Christians. And I, I believe that God is watching very closely our conduct towards each other. Um, and I think that that, like I said, this is really, when you put all that other stuff aside, you know, what, what's going on in the world, what's going on around you, the, the sufferings that we're enduring, because we've all been brought together under grace, under Christ's blood, that, you know, we are a family that's closer than any other, like, blood relation can be, Amen. Uh, really, you know, and, and that's why the, the way he, he kind of explains is a very deep, spiritual love for each other a very deep close bond with each other um and I, I think that's something that is not found common in the world especially in your, your you know your, your former i guess passions or your former ways if you're being molded by your old self a lot of people are very standoffish they keep you at arm's length you know yeah maybe i'll help you move a couple times or if you're in, in trouble i might come out and save you once or twice but then i'll block you from my cell phone you know <laughs> if i have to save you more than that um, but you know, our, our love for each other needs to be deep and it needs to be genuine. That's right. That's exactly right. Mm -hmm. Candace. Yeah. Yeah. I guess Mike and I are both going to say something about, oh yeah. He no, go ahead, Mike. Oh, anyway. <laughs> oh, he wants me to go first. So he'll oh, say sure. something. After. Sure. Um, so yeah, in verse 17, I guess it says it plainly, right? Conduct yourselves with fear. Uh, throughout the time in exile and I, I guess I was just looking at the fact that 14, 15 is it 14? 14, 15, 16 and 17 is like one sentence right? It says as obedient children do not do this but do that and then it kind of comes back and said look if you call on him as father he judges impartially right? So you knowing that he judges impartially means that you're not going to get a pass right? Um, so you need to not do what you used to do before. You need to be obedient and conduct yourselves with fear. And so it would be interesting, I guess, in my head, I was thinking, interesting to know if that fear is respect or <laughs> if it's fear of punishment. Um, but, you know, conduct yourselves with fear while during this time while you were in exile. I love that. Is it interesting to you guys that uh, Paul would talk here about conducting yourself with fear? And then turn around and talk about conducting yourself with love. Sorry, before I, before you answer that question, uh, Mike, you had something. Go ahead, Mike. Yeah, just to piggyback off of what Tony had mentioned earlier, how the love one another earnestly that is shown in verse 22, he mentioned how that sets us apart from the world. And again, just to remind us, the definition of holy is to be set apart. Right. And if we conduct ourselves in this way towards each other, and the world sees it, um, that may in some shape or form encourage them to see what we're about and thus we seek to know God and attract more members to 
more um, followers into his kingdom. And that's what this is all about. That's exactly right. That's exactly right. He'll say that. He'll say as much in, uh, in chapter two. Um, am I the only one that finds it? Yeah, go ahead, uh, Denise. Oh, um, I just want to piggyback off of what Tony said before in verse 22 um, about like our response. So like, I guess when I read it, the first uh, few verses was basically God saying, this was what I did for you. This was my grace. And now in verse 22, it's kind of like, what is our responsibility? And our responsibility in verse 22 is to have this sincere love, which we don't find in the world, this brotherly love, which we don't find in the world, uh, a mutual love, if you're using a different version. And we do this through a pure heart. And, you know, Paul gives a reason why in verse uh, 23, that we've been born anew, like we've, we've been saved. Like, this is the reason, this is our responsibility to use the grace of God to love each other you know, in this deep, sincere, pure heart, you know? So that's what I want to add. Yeah, I love that. Um, it's interesting, too, to me that he says here um, that uh, that word sincere is uh, the word for uh, not hypocritical, not a not hypocritical love. And, and I want you to think about this idea um, sometimes people think of, uh, you know, obeying the truth as being like, oh, doing, uh, doing things exactly as God said. Um, and by the way, that's a big, important part of obeying the truth. Sometimes I hear people talk about that, though, and when they talk about obeying the truth, they think, well, it's doing things exactly right doctrinally, making sure that you have all the right doctrine and making sure that you have all the right beliefs and make sure that you're teaching the, the right things. And that is absolutely true. And that is absolutely a critical part of obeying the truth. It is interesting to me, though, that here, when he says, having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth, for a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from uh, a pure heart. And I just want you to think about this, that if I am not sincerely, unhypocritically, loving my brethren, then I'm not obeying the truth. No matter what I may believe, no matter how right I may be in my doctrine or my understanding of what is true and right, if I am not learning to genuinely, sincerely love my brethren, then I'm not obeying the truth. Uh, that to me is a pretty sobering thought. Uh, it's not just being right in our knowledge or in our understanding that makes us pleasing to God. It is learning to have the right attitudes the right conduct, not just toward God, but also in how we treat one another. All right, good. Other thoughts you guys want to bring out about any of that? Candace, yeah. Um, as you were saying that, I guess the thought that came to me is kind of like maybe that maybe there should be some discussion too about what is brotherly love? What is love? Because, you know, some may think, okay, well, once I am kind to my brethren, then that is love, right? Whereas, and I think a lot of love is also defined by your culture. So for example, in the Caribbean culture, love means that I'm there for you. Like um, it's more of a communal, I guess it's more of a communal culture. So there's a lot of, you know, going over to each other's houses, helping, like just doing more than the surface stuff. Whereas I've noticed um, just since, since being in America that love here is not necessarily the same. Mm -hmm. um, and so love for brethren is not necessarily the same. And so what some may consider to be love here, for me, I'm like, oh, but wait, that isn't really love. So I guess, you know, just because I come from a different culture, um, I guess maybe I, I judge a little bit because it's different for me. But I guess it as you were saying all of that about love, brotherly love and stuff, it just that thought came to me, like what is brotherly love in general? Yeah. Amen. And particularly uh, to your point, what is pure brotherly love look like? What is uh, unhypocritical brotherly love uh, look like? 
I'll give you three things to, to think about there. And, and maybe some of you guys have some thoughts on this or want to jump in here. Um, but uh, hypocritical love is a love that's not consistent or a love that's not constant. Uh, you ever had a friend who was like a fair weather friend? When you, when you were doing really well, they were, they were your best friend. But when you were in deep trouble, uh, they were not there for you. Um, Proverbs 17, 17 says, a friend loves at all times. A brother is born for adversity. So one thing, uh, sincere love means that, that my love is consistent for my brethren. I'm not just there when it's easy for me or when it's comfortable. I'm going to be there for them at all times. I'm not just going to be there when times are hard. I'm not just going to be there when times are easy. I'm going to be faithful at all times. Um, so that's one thought. Another one I had was uh, uh, hypocritical love is, uh, is love that is spoken but not acted upon you. You know, I can say, uh, I love you, um, but that doesn't mean anything if you're in need and you know I have the ability to help and you know I know you're in need, but I don't do anything about it, right? Remember what John says in 1 John three eighteen: let us not love in word or tongue, but in deed and truth. So just because I say I love you doesn't mean I really do until until I'm willing to lay down my life for you, until I'm willing to suffer, until I'm willing to sacrifice for you. Um, and, uh, and let me just add one more here. Uh, unhypocritical love uh, is a love without partiality or without prejudice. Um, you know, some of us, uh, there are certain people in the body of Christ that we love, right? I mean, we've always loved them from the first time we met them, man. We love that person. I love spending time with that person. It's so enjoyable. Great relationship. It's wonderful. Um, we love those people. And then there's other people that's like, man, from the first time I met that one, I knew this one was going to be hard. I knew this person was going to be difficult. I knew I was going to have trouble loving that one. Love, hip, sincere love is a love that's not partial and not prejudiced. Um, and, uh, and, and I need to ask myself, uh, how am I loving the people around me? Am I, am I hypocritical in my, in my love for others? Uh, maybe you guys have some other thoughts on Candace's question. That's a good question. Um, what does it mean or what does brotherly love uh, or sincere brotherly love, pure hearted brotherly love look like? Anybody else want to jump in here? Yeah, I think uh, we can think of the places in the Bible like 1 Corinthians 13. Um, I believe that's the one where, yeah. you know, love is uh, always patient love is always kind you know a lot of i don't i don't think anyone here but a lot of people you know kind of mistake that for marriage love because that you know that section is read a lot at weddings and um that is talking about brotherly love um amongst the brethren or amongst loving our enemies as well i think that's a great way to think of love when you know that we have to love our your enemies like how can you possibly do that? Um, I thought her question was really good though, because it's like how how active is our love? Are we are we supposed to be doing a lot of different things? Or are we just supposed to, like she was saying in a sense, be there when people need things? Um, and I guess you know, I think part of it is just like doing what you know you can, kind of like what you mentioned, um, and then just really someone bothers you or. Or enemies bother you think about why they bother you think about it out of love you think about how much of it is it because of your own biases or your own beliefs um, and how much of it is because they are actually uh, committing some kind of wrong and then how you can help that you know yeah. if that's truly it if you objectively and that's also where counsel comes in I think if you're feeling like you uh, you know are having trouble with somebody good anybody else Thoughts on that question? Uh, yeah, okay, look, Mike here. Um, Brian just mentioned the chapter I was thinking of, um, 1 Corinthians 13. Um, I think one verse there pretty much encapsulates the whole thought. Verse 7, where it says, Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Now, we were talking about worldly love earlier, and very often that is seen as very transactional, for lack of a better expression. I will love you because this is what I expect in return. Right. But if love truly bears all things, believes, hopes, and endures, love will be freely flowing from us without anything expected in return. If you look at what Christ did, he died on the cross for our sins. 
I mean, he took on punishment for what he did not do, you know? And if we're to follow that example, we need to be believers who, by the same token, will love those who love us, love those who hate us, and not expect anything in like manner in return. Amen. Amen. Good. Uh, Tony? Oh, it's Denise this time. Yeah. Um, I guess uh, along with Candice's uh, question and, and uh, coupling with Mike's answer, um, I think there's like a differentiation of like uh, the expression of love and the perception of love. Um, meaning like, I know my husband loves me, but sometimes he may rebuke me and my perception in that rebuke uh, be that it's godly sometimes doesn't come across as love. Right. Um, but the scripture still calls that love, you know, just like God loves us, God rebukes us and corrects us through his word. That is love. You know, I think there is a proverb that says an enemy multiplies kisses. Um, yep. And, you know, uh, I forgot the other part. Um, but uh, I, I think it's like a, a, a mix with the perception of love, like, how we perceive love versus how love is expressed. That might be the confusion like within the, the brotherhood um, of believers because you know uh, the way I express love may not be the same way uh, Candace might express love. I, I don't particularly like gifts. Um, I like, hey, you know, you help me out, we hang out. Um, and Tony may like gifts. He may want the newest gadgets, you know. So I think it's it's both in trying to um, place that in uh, in Christ and, and noticing it and in the in the lens of like First Corinthians thirteen as as Mike was sharing. Yeah, I'll just say to that too. Um, you know, loving people sincerely from a pure heart has nothing to do. I shouldn't say nothing, but it has not much to do with you convincing them that you love them. It has everything to do with you convincing God that you love them. Now, the reason I say that is this, um, you know, God sees our hearts. He weighs our motives. He knows us intimately, inside and out. Um, and if our goal is to be pleasing to him and to become like him, then we've got, we're, our goal is not to convince everybody else that we love them, but to convince ultimately God to show God that our love is truly genuine. There may be times where my love me to do things for others uh, that are not particularly appreciated by them, and yet, nonetheless, in God's eyes, are, are very loving towards them. And I, and I think that's important. Ruth, you had something. Uh, go ahead, Ruth, and then Daniel. Um, when I think of that um, love, I think of um, Acts chapter 2, 40 and to the, to the end. I guess a pursuit of unity and pursuit of getting to know God and who he is and our identity as a family of believers. Um, it's going to be the byproduct of that. Right. So. That's right. Danny. Did you uh, oh, I was just going to say that um, yeah, brotherly love also is um, trying to make, it's making sure that we're all going, we're all focusing on the same thing. I think, and uh, what if, if you see a brother maybe um, going a different direction, you know, um, I think brotherly love would uh, definitely um, help him out, you know, let him know that, you know, maybe, you know, share some scriptures with him, or if you see a brother, you know, upset or depressed or, or whatever, you know, always uh, just to let them know you're going to be there for them, and, and, um, yeah, that's what I think. Amen. Good thoughts, guys. Um, we're running short on time here, so I'm going to introduce an idea that we're going to come back to next week, God willing. Um, but notice in verse 23, what's the motivation for why we need to learn to love one another earnestly from a pure heart? He says the reason is because you've been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and abiding word of God. And then he quotes from Isaiah 40, which says that all flesh is like grass and all the glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers, the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. I want you to start thinking about this idea that we are born again. 
Um, and I want you to think about why does Peter describe our coming to faith as a new birth or as this rebirth or as this being born again, um, born anew? There's, there's a reason why he's using this image. And, and I hope we can think about that. We'll discuss that even more next week. Um, but I want to leave you with this, this, this thought, and then I'll, I'll shut up and give you guys a chance to speak before we wrap up today. Um, how do I know that I can truly change? All right, so we've talked about how in the first paragraph of this letter, verses 1 to 12, God's grace strengthens us. In the second paragraph of this letter, God's grace changes us. But how do we know for certain that God could really, that God's grace is really going to change me? And I think what his point, the point that he makes here is I can know that because God's word is living and enduring and never fails. God's word is faithful. And so since he has, he has given me this new birth, not of a perishable seed, but of an imperishable seed. And since God's word is imperishable, it's living and enduring. I can be certain that actually what God has promised, he will actually fulfill if I will trust him and if I will obey him. How do I know I can change? It's not because of my power. It's not because of my goodness. It's not because of my grace and my greatness. It's ultimately because of the God who has put this seed within me, this imperishable seed that's led me to be part of this imperishable family. Why do we need to learn to love? Well, because we're part of a family that's not just going to not get, not just going to endure for a few years together or for, um, for, for a few decades. We're part of a family that's going to be together forever. And so if we're going to spend eternity together, we better learn to love one another and learn to appreciate, appreciate each other just as God has loved us. All right, I've said enough today, but let me give you guys a chance before we wrap up. Uh, any other thoughts or comments that you guys want to make um, before we finish today? To add from the text? I mean, I had a thought on what you just said, Caleb. Are we, should, we, should I go there now or should I wait till next week? That's up to you. Um, well, I guess it also has to do with the text, really. Um, is that uh, knowing that we can change, um, is that if we're in God, knowing that God, we just know that through God we can do anything. Look how, look what he did with Christ. When Christ was, that's, that's just what I think about, to convince myself, like, oh, if I can do this or if I can't. Well, Christ was raised from the dead to to prove to us once and for all we can overcome anything fleshly which is what we're doing anytime we're we're afraid we can't do something if we're, if we're christians it means we're we're overcoming something fleshly no matter you know what it is i mean something we might not be able to uh might not be capable of but then we'd have to be able to realize that and be at peace with that but um and all the miracles jesus did those were all real those weren't just like symbols of like look how great jesus is he made a man see who couldn't see no we have to believe that he did that part of that is to show like jesus said just be, believe have faith just for the miracle's sake the work's sake that you know if we feel like we can't uh you know quit drinking or something like no it, absolutely we can do that because look what jesus look what god did you know he turned flesh into spirit amen good Anybody else before we wrap up today? Thanks a lot, guys. Really appreciate our time in the Word together. Hopefully you all got a, uh, a worksheet each week um, to help you, give you some questions to think about as you reflect. Um, Caleb? Somebody, yeah, go ahead. <laughs> um, we, we had to love all the time, you know, um, especially to the household of God. You know that um, the scripture says, and it said also as we therefore have opportunity, it let us do good to to all men. So it's when we get opportunities, not just you know it can happen outside the body of Christ inside, but but when an opportunity come for us to do good for someone, you know God expects us that we can you know to do it. That's if we can. Amen. That's yeah. Exactly right. 
So if you didn't get this uh, worksheet, please let me know. I'd love to share that with, with you. And I, I really hope you'll take the time each week to not just read and answer the question, but to reflect and to respond to what we're learning in the word of God. To think about like, hey, how should my life be different? What are the things that are hindering my mind from, uh, from being sober-minded and from being able to be ready to do God's work and God's will? Uh, you know, how, how would my life be different if my hope was set fully on the grace that is to be brought to us at the revelation of Jesus Christ? Um, what areas of my life really do I need to be working on separating myself from the world for the purposes of God? Um, and how do I grow? What are some ways in which I can grow uh, to make my love more sincere and pure? Um, I gave you this question. I want you to think about this at the end of every class. Um, what's the most important change that you need to make in, after reading these verses to ensure that you're acting like an elect exile? in Brooklyn 2020. What's the most important change? You may not, you may, you, there's a lot of things we read this that you're going to say, yeah, I need to do better than that. I need to do better than that. But uh, let's just try to be specific and think about what's the number one thing I need to do? What's the number one thing I need to change? And then we've got a week to work on it. So let's go and do what we need to do to become more and more like Jesus, like elect exiles living in a strange world, but choice and precious in the sight of God. Thanks, everybody, for being a part of the study tonight. Let's finish with a word of prayer. Oh, Father, teach us to appreciate more and more your grace. May it nourish us. May it strengthen us. May it change us. May it teach us, Lord, to hope in you fully. May it teach us, Lord, to follow you fully. And may it teach us to live in holy, live in holy lives, live in fear and respect and reverence of you, and, and live lives that are full of sincere, genuine, brotherly love for our, our brothers and sisters. Lord, teach us to be like you in every way. We thank you that we were born again, not of a seed that's imperishable, but we were born again through the living and enduring word that is your word that produces life eternal. So help us, Lord, to work till you return um, to give us that full measure of your grace. Help us to work so that many more people may be able to come and share in this glorious uh, wonderful grace that you have in store for us in heaven. It's through Jesus we pray. Amen. The aim of The Way BK is to share the gospel of Jesus Christ across Brooklyn and beyond. For more information or to contact us, please visit www.thewaybk.com.